Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the Feathered Desert. This is Cheryl, and Kirsten and I are going to our topic for the day. So what we're going to talk about is hybridization, the true mystery of what is that bird. Hybridization is just one facet of bird science that just fascinates me. This is an interesting subject and may explain why the bird ID could be challenging with certain species in certain areas. And Kirsten, Yes, exactly. So we're talking about hybridization. The first question is, what is hybridization? It's actually when two different species of birds mate and produce offspring. This commonly occurs between closely related species of birds, so like a grosbeak and a grosbeak, and the resulting offspring can present with really any combination of characteristics from either parent species. So they can look identical to one species or they could look completely different, and they might be a mashup of both. That's what hybridization is, in a nutshell. (laughs) And so my next question is, of course, why does it happen? So hybridization often occurs when one species is absent or rare, which leads to mixed pairings between species. And like Kirsten said, it most commonly occurs between closely related species that share similar habitats. So around six decades ago, scientists discovered that the Bullock's Oriole from the West and the Baltimore Oriole from the East interbred extensively in the Great Plains. Well, not exactly. The Great Plains is kind of like the barrier to where their ranges met. Um, where they overlap a little. Where now. they overlap a little. So basically, this is along the Platte River in Nebraska is where um, they started to notice this. And... They say the Great Plains because we, instead of buffalo and fires, now there's roadways and trees and man-made waterways, which, of course, causes their habitats to be um, similar and overlap. So this led to the decision that the, the in ornithology circles to lump the two species together under the northern oil, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. <clears throat> About 12 years later, the decision was reversed and the species was split in two again. That happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they can't make up their mind? No, exactly. Or science. Uh, science catches, up to, catches what we... up to what they're thinking. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So the next question is, is what does this really mean for scientists and what does this mean for the Orioles? There is so much going on under the, under the surface with hybridization. It's going to really take a lot more research to determine if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And there are a few surface questions here and there that we can answer now, but we're really going to have to do a lot more research, a lot more extended long-term studies to see what's going on. So up until recently, the answers to many questions went unanswered. We really had no idea why it was happening. And a lot of times, just like Cheryl said, the IDs were such a problem, we thought it was a whole new species of bird. So, but now that we have genetic science, that has really opened doors to finding the answers about a lot of questions. And that's really, really interesting. And a little quick side note about genetic science. We were talking about, amongst ourselves the other day, that we have 
pigeons to yes. thank for advancements in genetic science. Yes, we do. Because the regular rock dove or rock pigeon, feral pigeon, highway pigeon, whatever you call them, a lot of people think they're super, super annoying, but they're actually helping scientists step forward in genetic science because they're able to study them because they have so many different colors within their species that it's helping scientists actually understand how genes work. That is so cool. Yes. You go pigeon. Go pigeons. (laughs) Scientists are learning that contrary to field observation, just as Kirsten was um, just mentioning to us, that suggests the two species interbreed freely. There is speculation that there must also be something deterring these two types of Orioles from mating with each other. It obviously happens sometimes, or there would not there would not be um, hybrids. But maybe only when there is none of one or the other species around, and that's really where they've left it for right now. Yeah. They don't really have too many more no. answers. So where, what, what more can we talk about here? The researchers found that, in fact, the Oriole hybrid zone has been shrinking. So just like Cheryl was just saying, is that sometimes they're breeding together and sometimes they're not. But it doesn't appear to be continuing to get larger and larger, this hybridization zone. So that adds to our evidence that the Bullocks and Baltimore Orioles will remain separate species, or should possibly remain separate species. They're most not most likely not going to lump together themselves. The scientists say if hybridization conferred any survival advantage, the hybrid zones would have gotten bigger with more mixing of the genes between the parent species and more hybrids. Instead, ongoing natural selection pressures, which is what Darwin taught mm-hmm. us all about, are limiting the expansion of the hybrid zone, and they're present, um, presenting the homogenization of the bird species. But that's not happening. It's not a homogenization. They are remaining separate species. And we're not 100% sure why, but I'm sure hopefully research in the future will yeah. well, give us some more answers. speculation. Yes. So one of the things that I found um, interesting, one of the researchers, a genetic scientist who's doing research into this, she um, speculates that the female of either species, the bullock oriole or the Baltimore oriole, is choosing to mate with a hybrid depending on whether that male looks like, I guess it could go either way. If it looks more like a bullock's oriole, then she might consider it. If right. It lo- if it's, because the females actually do make the choices. The female Baltimore oriole, if that hybrid looks more like a Baltimore oriole, then she'll, she'll choose. So, uh, again, it all depends on what characteristics they're showing. Right. Which is so fascinating because even if it's a hybrid, it's not a homogenized hybrid, the birds are um, genetically prone one way or the other. Yeah. Even though they don't look exactly like. They look enough like it to the female who's choosing a mate that she chooses to pick this one over that one. Right, which is interesting enough because birds see their colors differently than we do, but that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother (laughs) podcast right there. That's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) So now with the Bullets Oil and the Baltimore Orioles, they are not alone in their flexible mating standards. About 10% of the world's bird species hybridize, which I... Didn't know that either. Yeah, that I, seems like a lot, honestly. It does, yes. Hybrid zone, I think we're probably kind of pressured that and created more. Yes, I think zones. so. Hybrid zones exist in the U.S. for the black cat chickadees and the Carolina chickadees, indigo and 
Uh, I say lazuli, but other people say lazuli. Okay, lazuli, I like that. Buntings. Eastern and spotted towhees. The rose-breasted and the black-headed grosbeaks, as we mentioned earlier. But not all hybrid zones are following the same pattern. So these birds that we I just mentioned are following the Orioles' um, patterns. But, um, for example, the blue-winged and the golden-winged warblers have hybridized so much that they may be moving toward a merger of the two species. So all of these eastern and western complementary pairs of birds species can hybridize when they encounter each other, sometimes producing fertile offspring and confusing bird watchers and ornithologists, both trying to sort out where one species ends and the other begins. So when you are out bird, out bird watching, keep your eyes open, but beware. What you may see may not be what you see. Yeah. And just on a little note about that, whether it's good or bad, it, I, I, it does. We're, we're far from knowing whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. But I don't want everybody to think, oh, my gosh, we're yeah. going to be losing all these species. And um, most of it, like you mentioned before, is a lot of pressure. We're uh, suburbanizing and urbanizing so many of their um, habitats that they need that they're losing space. And so... If I'm a black-capped chickadee and I'm looking for another mate and I don't have uh, one readily available that's black-capped, I'm going to go with my other Carolina chickadee. And it, it might not necessarily be so bad because if I get down to three or four black-capped chickadees, instead of losing this genetic species altogether, those genes will be in the Carolina chickadee. And so maybe later on, when hopefully we can get our act together and, <laughs> and do a bit better with yes. our environment um, and they're able to come back, then those genes are still there. So hopefully, like these blue-winged and golden-winged warblers, the genetics for the blue-winged warbler will still be there. And then one golden-winged warbler that has babies that looks more blue and another one over here that has some more blue, they'll find each other and then maybe that species can kind of recover. So... It's not, I think it's almost not a horrible thing because their genes will still be preserved and not go completely extinct. Yeah, and science, like we mentioned earlier, is just catching up with these birds. These birds, (laughs) the birds are ahead of us in a lot of ways because we are just figuring out what they probably already know. Yep, and if we paid more attention, (laughs) it'd be perfect. (laughs) Yeah.